Welcome to Magnified Word Broadcast with Bishop Chris Quinston Addo, a son of the prophet Dakiwood Mills. Teaching the nations with signs, wonders, and prophetic manifestations, he's currently the senior pastor of the Captain of Salvation Cathedral, Kaswa Nyinyanukokraba. Now on today's message. Amen. I want us to look at um, today... I want to read something from one of Yongicho's books as part of our learning on how to grow the church. Amen. Um, I would call it Preaching to a Growing Church. It's from Yongicho's book called Successful Home Cell. Successful Home Cell Groups. Okay. And I'll be reading, but there are a lot of things God wants us to learn as a church. Now, anytime I'm talking to God's people, I see I'm talking to a church of leaders, not a church of members. It's a difference. Amen? I'm talking to everybody, everybody. I mean, this season until maybe next year, I'm talking to leaders. Even little ones, I see them as leaders. And I pray that the way God is helping me to see is how we all must see. Amen. So, I am actually addressing God's leaders, God's servants. Even if you have not responded yet, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that you have not caught some revelation. But truth of the matter is that God wants everybody to be a type of a leader in his church. Hallelujah. And um, to set the ball rolling, I want to say that I don't see a lot of pastors yet, but I'm saying it so that it's on record. that um, Every branch has been given a target. And our targets must be divided into basentes. Okay. So, for example, if you take, let's say, Gumwanyanyano, which is a branch, their target is, Reverend, your target is what? 400. So, that means that a, a bacenta of 10 people, how many bacenta leaders are we expecting? 40. So, now, Gumwanyanyano church, your mind, there's a pastor and all the, all the members of the church, your mind must be that we should have 40 Approved leaders. Though everybody is being trained to be a leader, but we must have 40 approved leaders. I mean, do you understand? 40 approved leaders who must be in charge, clearly seen to be in charge of 40 percenters. In the same way, all our branches, some of them are 20 something, some of them are 18, some of them are 50 something, all this year have been given a target of 100. That means that we should, by the end of the year, we should see 100 people sitting down, at least. So that means that how many approved leaders are we to see? 10. Are we together? 
Francisca, you didn't seem to know what we are talking about. Hallelujah. In the same way, am I talking to God's people? I want you to come along with me. In the same way, when we talk about cathedral, cathedral has been divided into six regions. There's UFS three regions and RMS three regions. The name doesn't really matter. We just wanted to have more work to do. That's why we have divided into the six regions. For each of the regions, they have a target. The RMS target is 300. And the UFS target is 360, 370. So Uncle Mike, 300, how many approved acceptance leaders should we see? 30. And the UFS, how many approved leaders do we have to see? 37. So that drive should not be just the pastor alone, but all of us who belong to, if it's a region, the region belongs to a branch, a branch. We are moving on that course. So what I'm going to be sharing with you is with that mind. You see, the reason why I'm taking my time to talk about these things, uh, including the Sunday messages on SSMG, is because of where God is taking us. It's not just messages that have just been preached to make you happy. But it is, it is aimed at reaching where God wants us to reach in terms of His church. In every aspect. Every aspect. So, those of us who have been following the series, I've talked about soul winning a mission consciousness campaign. I've talked about state of the flock campaign. I've talked about servants armed and trained campaign. Just this Sunday, I've talked about hearing and seeing campaign. And then we are going to be going on to the 22nd campaign. Why? Because all those things together with the percentage we are building will make this church, if you follow what I'm teaching, by the end of this year, you see that the church has changed. Changed in every aspect. You see that people who never thought they would even be what they must be, they are, they are, will be shocked. It's like, ah, what, what have I become? I am so blessed. Things are working. But it's because God is making all things work together for our good. I want you to clap your hands for her. Uh, you know, a father, eh? a father. The reason why you can't do, you can't, you, you can't joke with the father. Like this morning, prophet was leading us to pray as one of the things that can actually bring what, bring a disease or cause you to die. It's dishonoring fathers because sometimes a father or a mother who has given birth to you knows what is good for you, but you may not agree. You may not know. So, even in the, in the things of the spirit in the church, people who are father figures sometimes know where we are going. Like a biological father will say, I want my son to become a doctor. I want my son to go to this school. I want my daughter to go to this. I don't want to. There are different things that fathers and that, uh, mothers have. And if the children will obey, realize that they are being guided to somewhere better. In the same way, in the church, God gives us our pastors as fathers and mothers to be able to father and mother the church if only we would obey. I mean, from where I sit, what I can see, like a few days ago, about three days ago, the Lord showed me a net. A 
And the net was divided into the churches in this council. And the Lord was showing me that this is how he just wants to blow the people into the church. But if only the structures will work. I said, oh. And when I woke up, I, that's why Sunday, I, those who didn't know, I grew out against some pastors. They didn't even, up to them, they don't even understand why, but it's because there was instruction in the spirit. The thing is working. It must work. It must. So, like what I'm saying, like all the new branches that don't think of me, we are growing small, small. No, immediately, no. Start thinking about 100 is my target. 10 people must be approved leaders. 300 is our target. 13 people, at least. 370 is our target. 37 people approved. So, based on that, so I'm going to read Young Cho's book. That will be a blessing to us. Somebody say amen. amen. I hope I'm talking to Christians. Yes. Do you enjoy these things? What did your neighbor say? Yes? Okay. So, preaching to a growing church. Through my fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I'm just picking, picking some things. I feel a real anointing when I go out to preach. Or what a difference that anointing makes. It is especially necessary in the expository sermons I give at Wednesday night meetings and at the Friday all night prayer meetings in our church, Full Gospel Central Church. When I began to teach the Bible verse by verse on Wednesday evenings, beginning with Genesis and intending to go through the whole Bible to the end of Revelation, some people told me attendance would be very small. <laughs> Are we together? Okay. On Saturdays, when you preach a topical message, people will come, they said. But if you teach verse by verse, everyone will lose interest. Yes, you are right, I said. If I just teach the Bible verse by verse, according to my own knowledge, nobody will want to listen. But if I go to the platform together with the Holy Spirit, they will come because they will listen to him. Amen? So I depended upon the Holy Spirit and launched forth. Sometimes I would teach for two and three hours at a time. Yet the people seemed to sit there spellbound. Not only did the people grow more in grace, but they were actually enjoying it. Now I realize that in some of the chapters, I become very tedious. As he come to church, he's reading Bible to them. Very tedious. Particularly when you study such books as Leviticus, and you have to teach verse by verse on all those minute requirements of the Jewish law. You feel like dying, but still you must teach it to the people because all of the Bible is important to their spiritual growth. As I have come to depend more and more on the Holy Spirit, both in my topical sermons on Sundays and in my expository teachings on weeknights, I rely less and less on philosophy and the knowledge of history that I learned in Bible school and in my early days of ministry. After 23 years of preaching, I have found only the word of God quickens people. At one time, 
I preached almost like a philosopher and I became very profound but at the same time I was making very few converts. Now, I have become very simple, ignorant perhaps, in worldly ways, but I have become very profound in scripture. Are we together? (laughs) Okay. As I relied solely on the Bible, I began to have more and more converts, including, and this is in Acts chapter 6 verse 7. So you see, as I began to rely more and more on the Bible, I began to have more and more converts, including the more intellectual people of the city. Teaching the Bible under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is very powerful. Somebody say amen. In my preaching, I also have a definite goal. I don't simply preach at random. My goal is always to help people meet Jesus Christ personally. Every Sunday, every Wednesday night, every Friday night, and every other time I'm called to preach. Each sermon is focused so that people will meet Jesus Christ through it. If they are unbelievers, let them meet Jesus Christ and be converted. If they are already believers, let them meet Jesus Christ and become more profound in their faith. Somebody say amen. If I miss the bull's eyes there, the sermon is a failure. Anytime he preaches and is not targeted in people's life, getting closer to Jesus, then it's a failure. My second goal in preaching is to help people succeed in life, in spiritual body and business. As the people of my congregation become successful in their home lives, as they become successful in their business lives or careers, and as they become successful in their relationships with other people, then I also become successful. As much as I want to become a successful minister to that same extent, I try to make the people of my congregation successful. My own success is a secondary goal. The people must succeed first. Finally, the goal of my preaching is to help people serve God and other people in a greater way. Once people meet Jesus Christ and become successful in their own lives, they should use the power and the success of their newfound relationship with Christ to serve God and other people with spiritual energy, mental energy, and physical energy, and with an abundance of finances. I don't apologize for financial success because it is a means of serving God and helping others. What do you think about that? Amen? Our own church budget is large enough that we can really move into evangelization, not only in Korea, but also in Japan, the United States, Europe, and elsewhere. In fact, this kind of success among our people is a miracle because we are citizens of a third world country to tell the truth if they were not successful. We could not afford to carry on on the big program we have. At Full Gospel Central Church, we do not talk about depression oil shortages or other such difficulties. While other businesses are slowing down, our people are becoming prosperous, even in the midst of severe inflation like in Ghana, an economic depression, which is what we have had in Korea in 1980. Yet the offering continues to increase every Sunday in our church. In all of my sermons, whether in Korea, Japan, the United States or Europe, I always have three goals. To introduce people to Jesus Christ, 
I'm sharing something with you to make them successful and then number three, to motivate them to serve God and their fellow man. Then I have a sure foundation as a minister. Now, where you might ask, do I begin in my preaching? Where do I begin in my preaching? I always begin with the goodness of God. That is the most important theology. Until I was 19 years old, listen to this story. True, I'm reading real stuff that I want us to glean something from. Until I was 19 years old, I was a Buddhist. Really a devout Buddhist. I thought Buddhism was the best religion in the world. Theoretically, in terms of theology, Buddhism is very profound. But whenever I went to the temple, I always felt frightened of those idols. I always prayed asking the Buddha not to punish me. My whole relationship with the Buddhist religion was based on a ritualism and responsibility rooted in fear. In the Buddhist faith, my faith was born in fear, not in love. The God of Buddha was not a God of love, but one of judgment. When I became a Christian, Jesus Christ not only saved my soul, but he also healed me of tuberculosis and raised me up from my deathbed. Then when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's why every member, everyone who joins this church must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the love of God began to pour like a river into my soul. The greatest things I experienced as a Christian were the love of God and the goodness of God. God has really been good to me. When I came to him, I was very poor. I was a dropout from my first year in high school. My father could not afford to send me to school any longer. And I had been weak with tuberculosis. I seemingly had no future. But through my newfound relationship with Jesus Christ, and by reading the Bible, I equipped myself with a positive faith. You see, and all the things I'm saying are some of the things that we meet people that we meet going through. And sometimes they wonder, Pastor, you don't know why. I'm showing you the key to your life changing or people's lives changing. But through my newfound relationship with Jesus Christ and by reading the Bible, I equipped myself with a positive faith. Through that, God pulled me out of that whole miserable situation. He gave me all the health, the wealth, the knowledge, the victory, and everything I needed. Everything I have has come from God. Is it okay to clap for this powerful testimony? Because of my relationship with God, because I know him as a good God, a loving father, that is the God I preach. Yet, I have met so many people who tell me that they have had a wrathful, vengeful God preach to them. And they had great difficulty relating to a loving, good thing, good God. Not long ago, I was preaching in Germany when a woman came to me and asked me to pray for her and her husband. She had a tremendous fear of God, which had been brought on, on when her parents had been killed in a bombing raid in World War II. Now her husband was despondent with severe neurotic depression and she was afraid she would lose him just the way she had lost her father and mother. So I began to tell her about the goodness of God 
and how he had created the world, how God had created the world and had found it good. He is the God who tried to bring good to the sin and sickness of the world by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. So I told her that God is a good God, that God is your father and my father. So change your thinking and begin to see God as a good God. Praise him and tell him, I love you, Father. You are a good God and you want me to have goodness in my life. She said, I am scared. No one has ever taught me that way before. Well, I am teaching you right now. I said, don't be scared. Just change your image of God. Then she began to repeat after me. God is a good God. God is a good God. He is my good father. He is my good father. He wants to give good things to his children. He wants to give good things to his children. He is good. He is good. Soon, she felt the release and began to laugh. And not long after that, her husband was completely freed of his neurotic oppression. You wouldn't want to call for Jesus. (laughs) I believe that when we preach a good God, we get people released from bondage. Bondage comes from the enemy. The devil uses wrong theology to try to bring people under the bondage of fear and desolation. Many preachers have taught their people only to fear the God of judgment. And they have told them not to expect anything from him. I am a father. I have three boys. That is Yonggi Cho. And I do everything to bring goodness to my children. Yet the Bible says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew 7.11 It's very, very hard to persuade some Christians to think of God in this way. Because they think they always have to suffer and struggle to be good Christians. They feel we should constantly go through trials and live a poverty-stricken life to be good Christians. Well, if our suffering brings any redeeming grace to other people, then I believe that suffering is justified. But the Bible says that we should suffer together with Jesus Christ. But did Jesus Christ ever suffer from sin? Did he ever suffer from sickness? Did he ever suffer the oppression of Satan? And the answer is no. He never suffered from any of those things. Did he ever suffer from poverty? Yes, he did. But in a redeeming way. As it says in 2 Corinthians 8-9. Though he was rich, which is one of the things I shared recently, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. If the Bible commands us to suffer together with Jesus Christ, that suffering should not be because of sin, sickness, the devil, a curse, or poverty. Then from what did Jesus suffer? Persecution? He only suffered for the sake of the gospel because of persecution. Therefore, neither should we accept suffering except by persecution. Amen. And if that suffering does not bring any redeeming results, then that suffering is for nothing. I don't think I can ever become poor. I would gladly suffer poverty if it brought any redeeming grace to the people. But I have found that trying to become poor is the most difficult thing in my life. When I was building the new church on Yoido Island, I gave up everything, even my home. But the more I gave up, the more God returned to me. That's according to the Bible. So now I've given up. I have no hope of becoming poor. 
You see, which some people struggle to believe. Oh, I cannot, I cannot come because of money, because of transportation. I cannot go for come because of, but you see, the moment you dedicate yourself to God and His work, I cannot be a basental leader because it's difficult for me to bash the people. The moment you dedicate yourself, I cannot be a pastor because I know that the responsibility of going to the branch, the moment you dedicate yourself to God's people, God begins to take care of you. I'm, I'm reading from somebody who was, if you want to call it nothing, had problems, sickness, weakness, and then today, by the grace of God, He's a living testimony. Had been used by God to build one of the largest churches in the world. He's gone to heaven, but he has left his legacy. He says, if a person volunteers to become a missionary and he gives up his home and the comforts of, let's say, Western society to bring Jesus Christ to people in the jungles of, let's say, New Guinea, then his suffering will be for the case for the cause of redemption. He is suffering the lack of all the convenience of civilization, but it is for a purpose. Therefore, the foundation of my sermons is the goodness of God. Next to that, I preach on the blood of Jesus Christ. I always base my sermon and my faith on the blood of Christ. For without the blood of Jesus Christ, there can be no redemption. Without redemption, there is no reason to persist in one's faith. Can I have an amen? Jesus shed his blood in four places. The first of them being the garden of Gethsemane. There his perspiration fell like big drops. The sweat fell like big drops of blood. And it had a special meaning to those being redeemed. He shed his blood as he was saying not my will but thine be done. The first Adam disobeyed God to persist in his own will. By the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was offering himself and offering up the will of mankind in obedience to God. As a high priest of the people, he was offering up their own disobedient will, and he redeemed it. We can say very definitely that God's Holy Spirit can help us to obey God's will, because the blood of Jesus Christ speaks even today. The blood redeems our disobedience, which we inherited from our father, the first Adam. The second time Jesus shed his blood was when the crown of thorns was placed upon his head. The thorns cut into his head and blood gushed out. What does that blood represent? It symbolizes the curse. When Adam and Eve fell from grace, the Bible says that the earth was cursed and would produce thorns and thistles. The thorn in the symbol is the symbol of the curse. But by shedding his blood, Jesus redeemed his people are you enjoying what I'm reading from the curse? Today, so many people, including Christians, are living in the thorny patch of hatred, fear, and inferiority. But the blood of Jesus Christ speaks against that curse. For by it we are redeemed from the curse. Can somebody say amen? amen. The third time Jesus shed his blood was at the whipping post. The Roman soldiers took off his clothes laid stripe upon stripe upon his back until it was completely torn and blood gushed out and streamed down. Here he shed his blood to bring us healing. For the Bible says, with the stripes we are healed. According to Isaiah 53.5 We cannot ignore that in our preaching 
For that blood still speaks today. Finally, Jesus shed his blood on the cross at Calvary when the Roman soldier thrust a spear inside. Out gushed blood and water. And the shedding of that blood redeemed us totally from sin and death. Therefore, without the shedding of blood, there will be no redemption. Without the blood, we have no foundation to preach against Satan. But once we build our messages on the foundation of the blood of Jesus Christ, then we have tremendous grounds for proclaiming victory over Satan. Can I have an amen? Amen. I base my sermons on the blood of Jesus Christ and build the faith of the people in my congregation so that they will not fear anything. I put faith into their hearts. When our people leave the church and return to their homes and businesses, they do not live only by their own circumstances, but they live by faith. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. Then after basing my sermons on the goodness of God and on redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, I build the foundation of a successful life. It is a sure biblical principle from Genesis to Revelation. The principle of success is demonstrated so many times. If you want to have financial success in your business, then you should apply the principle of sowing and reaping or seed time and harvest. For the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Luke 6.38. And how do you keep your home like life happy and healthy? How do you keep your home life happy and healthy? And he says that by keeping Sunday holy. By keeping Sunday holy. Number two, not doing any work. Worshipping God together with the family in church. And how can you have business success? Apply the principles of faith in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. So I teach all these principles of success to the people in our church. And they apply them to their lives just as we in the church leadership apply the principles of church growth through the home cell groups. And the people are always successful. Therefore, I have no need for trying to become eloquent. In fact, I have no intention of ever becoming eloquent because I've turned my pulpit into a counseling place. He doesn't speak good English. So it doesn't matter your accent, your whatever. The method of preaching then is to counsel the people to help them meet their needs. People are always coming to church in great need. But if the preacher is only talking about theology, history and politics, the people are not going to be helped in their personal lives where they need the message. They will be dozing off instead. One day I was returning to Korea from the United States and I stopped over in Japan for one day. I was afraid that if I got back to Korea on Saturday, I would have to labor in the pulpit the next day. So I had a very good excuse to take a one-day vacation. I decided to go to a Japanese Christian church that Sunday. And the one I attended turned out to have a minister who used very big words. He did not have just a $5 vocabulary. He had a $10 vocabulary. There are many ministers like that and not just in Japan. They feel that the larger their vocabularies are, the greater their ministries become. What those ministers do not realize is that their congregations understand less 
than 50% of their preaching. Then if the congregation does not understand what the minister has said, they may say, my, isn't our minister profound? Isn't he erudite? But when you ask them, what did he preach about? This same congregation will say, nothing. Well, the minister in the Japanese church I attended that Sunday was one of the leading ministers in Japan. Yet I sat there squirming and uncomfortable, feeling that if the hour were not over soon, I would die. He was not meeting the need of my heart at all or of his people. Instead, he was discussing international politics using those $10 words I could not understand. That is the trouble with many churches in Japan and the reason people are not going to the Japanese churches. Why should they go to a Christian church that does not speak to their needs or to the cries of their hearts? No wonder a Japanese church considered itself fortunate to have 100. So when you continue, he now says that, that that's one of the revelations why God told him to have the home cells. That now at the home cell level, we are able to meet the needs of the people. able to meet the needs of the people. Honestly, there is no way, there is no way, there is no way God can bless his church beyond a point if we don't do things the way he wants us to do it. It's become so clear to me that if I don't drive this church this way, God will not be able to bless his people the way he wants to. So please, today I'm emphasizing again, all pastors, you are supposed to drive your church with the targets that has been given you and divide the targets by 10 and let people run it as center leaders. My last bit of what I'm going to read to you, Yongicho lists some things and how when churches don't do that, they don't seem to see some blessing in the church. And people don't see blessings in their lives. You can have some people who will be in the church for a very long time, but they can't see any change. But, you take churches that are even following the style that he is doing, which is the cells, and you see the testimonies. Testimonies even at the percenter level. Even at the percenter level, you begin to have people having miracles. One of the things that he says that at the Bacenta level, when you meet, we should even give opportunity for people to pray for each other. So let's say we are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and we meet. Before we close, we should ask, does anybody have a prayer topic you want us to pray about? And then people bring their topics. And then we, including the new people and new converts, people that you think are new converts, we all pray. And he says that as they do that, and they've been doing that, Surprisingly, sometimes the people that we least think that God will use them, democrat God uses them. And you have people having testimonies at that level. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor that God expects more from you. Hallelujah. How many understand what I'm saying? I'm looking. 
So this few minutes, I am ending by talking about how he began his home cell groups. Hmm. I have been eating this and for some time now I realize how it's changing my life. It's making me see revelation that hitherto had never seen and walking some authority that I had never walked in. Hallelujah. And I want everybody to be part of what I'm experiencing. I mean want to be part. Yeah. Okay. The book I'm using is not written in an easy way to click. So he says that selecting the right lay leaders amongst your people. Let me read this point because that was also touching. The first step in establishing the home cell, which we call Basenta, are very important. Here are my recommendations for the pastor. First, you should start small. You take, so like, that's what he says, okay, we divide the target into ten. So you take a few, and then you train them, and then you expose them to the meetings. As it's working, then now you engage all. Now he says that in his church, he makes sure that everybody that is in your idol, everybody, and a lot of people were not happy, but later they got it. Everybody becomes part of the Basenta training. When I read this, I understood what prophet is doing and understood what God is telling me. He said, Everybody, everybody, not even one person left out. Everybody. And as they, they began to accept what he had, the strategy had given, now the church became so exciting because everybody seemed to be part of this move. He says that now, the first thing the pastor should do is look for men and women who are spirit-filled. If the leaders are not dependent on the Holy Spirit, they can actually begin to move counter to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Reverend Richard was leading us to pray for the Holy Spirit. Here are some of the qualities I look for in those who must lead the cell from the beginning. Number one, enthusiasm. And now listen to the shocking point he says. New Christians often make very good cell leaders because they have just come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Their enthusiasm is infectious. Older Christians often need to be reprogrammed before they will accept the cell system. So, let's say some of you guys who are starting a branch or regional pastors or whatever, from this point, clearly, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. They say that, look, from his experience, even the older Christians makes it difficult. So don't think about older Christians much. The people who have just become born again yesterday, or you brought them, let them start. Let them start. 
But he's not saying dog the older Christians. He said that they require more reprogramming. Number two, he says that testimony. Christians who have a clear, powerful testimony of what God has done for them are living proofs that the gospel does work today. Such Christians demonstrate the reality of the life of Christ and others are drawn to them. Those people must be considered. So now you look into the church. We have to find out what has Christ done for you? What has Christ done for you? Those who have testimonies of what Christ has done for them. I used to smoke, but I've changed. I used to do this, I've done. Such people are easier used to lead the basentes. And they become good examples for others to follow. I'm giving you reasons why we, we all have to get involved in this basenta thing. Because I personally have a revelation that without it, your personal life, you won't see much change. Because you are not interested in God's main aim, which is church. Irrespective of what your age, you can be seven years, nine years, twelve years, fifteen years. The earlier you catch it, the better. Fifteen years, twenty-two years, thirty-three years. Number three, he says that. So I've talked about enthusiasm. Number two, testimony. Number three, dedication. And he says that you can usually tell whether a person is dedicated to the Lord and to the church by his a attendance record at church and at other meetings, including cell groups. B his tithing record. C his demonstrated commitment to unity in the life of the church. Those who are overcritical or out of step with the majority will not easily follow the pastor's directions for leading home cell groups. So now we also look at people who are always around. They come for meetings, they come to church. Charlie, get them to do something. On table of Ukraine, he's a good candidate. People who pay their tithe, when you say offering, they come and give. Get them to do something. Recently, Reverend Copson spoke to me that, oh, it's raging. I said, look, just identify some people who seem to show these commitments. And then pick them. Then I'll talk to them for you. And he organized a number of them. And told me that, oh, Bishop, I'm ready. So I, I made them, was it last two weeks Sunday? I met, I mean, people who, it's like in the church, you may think that they won't do anything. After speaking to them, they all are willing to flow and do their best. Are they not doing their best? I mean, I can see from last week a change. It is possible. Look, most of you are stubborn against me, and God is warning you if you are stubborn against your spiritual dad, like your biological father, you will not survive. I'm telling you. You will not survive. So, me on shop of can be a no bego. Come by center. Means to be near by center. First, then come here by center leader, but that's him in person. Charlie, this is the directive that God is bringing. You are trying to fight it. Some of us cry, we go to the extent of discouraging people. 
What are you doing? On Tuesdays, we talk about church and how the church must advance. We don't talk about receive it. So if you don't understand, then you are, you are not supposed to be here. Number four, spirit-filled. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit is essential if a person is to lead the members of a cell group. Now my emphasis is that all of us are supposed to handle a basenta. So you see that if a person is to lead the members of his cell group, that person must depend upon the Holy Spirit as the most essential person in his life. In our church, that means the leading person must be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Then, we are assured of a person who can lead others to Christ and who can pray powerfully for them. And this is particularly essential in praying for physical and spiritual healing because at the basenta level, people must pray, must be prayed for. So, one of the things that we, the pastors, must do is to make sure that all our members are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They are supposed to be basenta leaders. You think I'm sharing something with us? Of late, we don't have a lot of Christians who speak in tongues. That's what last week Friday I was addressing. That from last week Friday, when we come to church and we have to pray, and you don't speak up loud, I suspect that you are possibly a wizard or witch. Because you see, and I give reasons why. Because Sometimes you may not know people are witches and wizards until there are some things they can't do. Because if you are a proper Christian, you win souls. It's not by singing. It's not by dancing. It's not by all the things that people do these days. You win souls. Number two, when we are praying, we will hear you. You cannot say that you are a proper Christian and die away. Hey, are you a Buddhist or a Yudist? Meditating is done by you alone. But when we meet as believers, and I prove scriptures, plenty of scriptures, plenty. We scream, we shout, we, and we must hear tongues. Mama, do you understand? We must hear what? Tongues. Remember, comes in tongues. A lot of pastors, you, we, we are, to be honest, we don't be offended though. Most of us are not spiritual. Are not. Most are not spiritual. So we must grow up and we must prove it. Prove it. And that's why you must now make sure that your people that you are leading. So I said last week, those of you who are here, scriptures are plenty. When it comes to prayer, we, our voices must be heard. When it comes to singing, we don't shout. There's no way in the Bible that says that when you're worshipping, you have to shout. Rather, the singing must be soft, down, get the people involved, and then we hear ourselves. But the prayer, we don't have to hear ourselves. And look at the look at the churches that are known as working, and look at how they, it's run. That's why last Friday I said that allow me to lead you. 
Even some of these things, allow me to lead you. When we are praying, you look at your spiritual father. How I'm praying, follow. Sometimes you don't know what to do. Look at your leader. When, when you're worshipping, look at how he does it. When we are, look at, just watch. And then try and mimic it. Try and follow. So follow me as I follow Christ. If you're not following Christ, then just go to where somebody's following Christ. But if you are here, and you believe I'm following Christ, then try and follow. Bishop Dark is trying. So we are following as he's following Christ. So look at how he prays. When we are doing flow, he said, put your Bluetooth on. How come that you are doing something different? You never put on anything. You sleep in bed, wake up. You, I mean, we are almost doing almost opposite. When we come to church, anytime first lovers are praying, anytime we are doing, you may scream those days. You see people are praying with Oja. How come that when we come to our here, then we want to just do some cool. Some of you, you have not lifted your voice before. I'm, I'm, it's possible you are a witch, but we don't know. And then I, I said that, so how come somebody will be asking that? How come that if the person is a witch, he, when it comes to anointing services, the person comes? And I said that the person comes because or by no, they are not shall I say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, by no, they are not shall I say? How would you know? Now, what kind of person? So why shall you may easily think that this way, this is very spiritual, but it's a witch, it's a wizard that is chewing meat at night, that wakes up at dawn and does things. So the only way to disprove all that is we must see things like bearing fruit. And you know, say Utimi you cannot tell me say you are not a Christian. Because when you are Christian, you can't do that. But Utimi yes, I not just say clearly. Oh, your bar, what is your bar? Utimi wo. So when you are bar now, Utimi wo. I see started questions. Say what has gone wrong? What is wrong with you? Maybe I have been wrong. Sounds like spiritually we must. So Basenta is not just hey, was it Basenta? But I mean, what is my Basenta leader? No. But center simply means, so you Christian, you're at a point, we must see you bearing fruit of taking care of some people to show that you're a proper Christian. Because Jesus said, you must bear fruit. And let your fruit, what? Remain. And Jesus said that those days, you were eating milk, but now when you, you must eat meat. You must also teach others. So all that I'm saying is that I'm trying to show you from Pastor Yongi Cho's beginnings of teaching the church, why he was teaching what he was teaching, helping them to see the importance. And a church that started with only mother-in-law and just three people now grew up to thousands, eight thousand, what are you talking about? And it's not, and he, he says that me, I don't speak English, Papa. I don't, I, I, was, I fell out of school. But the people in the church, everybody is doing their small, 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 small
And he's like, wow! It's not him. It's everybody doing something for Jesus. I am getting to a point where as a pastor, I'm getting hurt. Because some of you don't obey me. And you don't obey God. You see, you have not seen God before. So God gives you his servant to lead. And when your servant is leading, you are not obeying. It's almost like you are obeying God. When it happens like that, and the servant is not happy, God is not happy. That's how God treats us. So, whoever he has put ahead of you, when that person is not happy, God is not happy with you. If your father is not happy with you, God is not happy with you. Because you are dishonoring your father. Irrespective of what your father is doing, if your mother is not happy with you, God is not happy with you. Because you didn't choose your mother and your father. He gave them to you. So when you, you don't honor them, you are not, you are not honoring him. In the same way, you didn't give, you didn't choose me. You didn't know me from anywhere. But it's God by his orchestrations who has brought this son of his called Chris to come and lead his church for whatever season. And when he says, so God says, we are all doing this. Let's move to UFS. Let's do to, you see, and trust me, if you know me well, you know that I am not, I don't, I am fully being led. Fully. Fully. 100% I'm telling you. Some of the decisions sometimes must be taken. I don't even understand it. Sometimes I don't even get it, but I just obey. Like, today, Lord, should I do this video? He says, no, I want you to read this part and then explain it. I'm just doing it. Whether you understand it or not, it doesn't cover me all. Because it is his church. And I'm I'm not here to impress you. So, if the instruction is actually everybody must now become what is called a basetta leader. Just do something small at your area and then make sure that these people you are taking care of, which is what we are trying to do for Good Friday. Good Friday, Good Friday, I had What does it mean? I said, be a basetta, a quick basetta leader for, for this Good Friday. So, you'll be a tired basetta, Juma. It should be easy. But it's already difficult. But it will be easy. Hallelujah. Are we together? Five minutes more. Number five. Time and money. Although there is an axiom that if you want a job done, give it to a busy person. That axiom does not apply to spiritual leadership. The busier a person is, the less time he's going to have to listen to and receive direction from the Holy Spirit. The best cell leaders are those who do not have to go to work outside their home. They usually have much more time for prayer and Bible study. This statement I'm reading, when I read it, it looked a little bit. So listen to me carefully. The same holds true for those with... That's why I had to read what I read from the beginning here because you need to understand in context. The same holds true for those with enough money. 
that they don't have to be concerned constantly about earning enough to live on. They too will have more time for prayer and Bible study. This does not mean we should not select poor people to lead home cell groups. However, if people meet all of the other qualifications, I'm convinced they will make good cell leaders. And besides, they probably will not remain poor for long. I teach our people that when you go to work for the Lord, you are not going to stay poor because God is going to supply all your needs. Hallelujah. Once the leaders are selected, they are trained in leading meetings like what we are doing now. First, they must learn from the pastor so that they can pass on the pastor's teaching to those in the cell groups or by centers. It is essential that the teaching at the cell meetings fit in with the overall program of teaching in the church that we have been doing. I provide all of my cell leaders with a standard lesson each week like we have been doing. Although I no longer prepare the individual lessons, I still take an active role in preparing the leaders. At first, the leaders all met with me each Wednesday evening in place of the midweek prayer meeting to learn the next week's lesson. Later, when I could not be with them in person, I taught them via recordings. Now that our church has enlarged facilities, I teach them each week via video cassette. And each week, the lesson outline appears on our church's weekly newspaper so all of the members can prepare for the lesson in advance. In addition to the lessons from the Word of God, There are other functions of a cell meeting that make it truly a gathering of God's people. Now this is where I'm trying to end. There is always worship through the singing of hymns and choruses and through the prayers of the leader and others in the group. We always give the groups a time of open prayer when all are permitted to bring their prayers of thanksgiving, confession, intercession and petition before the Lord. A third ingredient of our cell meetings is ministry to one another. Members are encouraged to share their prayer needs so all can pray for them. We have had some miraculous healings take place right in the cell groups as one person has prayed for another making it clear to everyone that the Holy Spirit works in those meetings just as he does in the temple church services. And finally, the meetings are required to be evangelistic. The lesson and the testimony should lead newcomers to the person of Jesus Christ. Members are encouraged to look around their neighborhoods for unbelievers that they can invite to the meetings. Are we together? I'm giving you the simple scheme to follow. All of us. Many of those unbelievers do meet Jesus Christ and commit their lives to him right in the cell meetings. This is really what is causing our church to grow so rapidly. To me, evangelism is essential if home cell groups are to provide real life for the church. After the original group of cells has been meeting for some months, it is time to expand to the whole congregation. 
by then the first cells should be bearing real fruit for the church. And most of the people will already have learned a great deal about them through the church grapevine. So for example, what he's trying to say, like you take a branch. If what I'm saying, you go, you divide your church into ten. You identify some people. And he said, you are going to be acting as a leader of one of the percenters. And then you try gradually. It starts working. When it starts working after, let's say, about six to some months, two, 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 six weeks to three months. That's about six to 18 months. Three months, yeah, 12. Six to 12 weeks. About, yeah, three months. Now, the people themselves will begin to understand and appreciate how cells run. So when we say that, now, out of your ten members, the all that must become centers. then it's almost like the target hundred is times ten. Why won't you say no? Business. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how, you see, so, like, I can imagine the, 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 the Holy Spirit adding 3,000 to the early church. It's because they understood these things. So, as they were doing, it's like, the 120 were warming up there. So, when they got it, you know, it's like, okay, the next moment, we can bring 3,000. The next one, 5,000. The next one, the whole city. Boom. And the Holy Ghost was getting excited because Jesus' blood that he shed on Calvary was not waste. The church is working. And Bible says that none was in lack. When church is growing, none is in lack. At the general church meeting, the Leaders and members of their groups should give testimony to the whole congregation showing what God is doing through their cell meetings. Believe me, it will be an exciting time. The enthusiasm of the leaders and cell members will be infectious. People will be convinced that the cell system has something for them. You should also have statistics to back up the testimonies showing how many people have been healed or helped in other ways at their meetings. How many unbelievers have been everybody went. That is the pattern in our church. However, other pastors tell me that voluntary participation is the only thing that will work in their churches. So they distribute sign-up sheets at the all-church meeting and the number of people who sign up determines the number and location of the cell groups. Whichever way the church goes, all efforts should be made to get the maximum participation. For instance, there's one church in the United States that got involved in cell groups without using a model at all. The pastor was convinced our system will not work there. So he decided just to hold home meetings once a month strictly for fellowship. Although he started out differently, he did follow one of my principles. He directed the groups himself, appointed six or seven pastors under him to be a model cell group used their experience to lead other groups. He did not believe it was necessary to divide the church up geographically, which is what is supposed to be done, because everything was strictly voluntary. Do you know what happened? Do you want to know what happened? Are you sure you want to know what happened? Everybody who went to the home meetings enjoyed them so much that attendance grew quickly. 
Soon, they had to meet more frequently. Not only that, but prayer and Bible study soon became a regular part of the format. It just happened naturally. Now, every new member of that church is required to sign up for a cell group and they are encouraging the remaining older members to sign up too. The groups have become a major tool of evangelism. And the pastor now says it is almost as though a whole new church is growing within the original congregation. A church within a church. And the new inner church is livelier than the original one. But it got to a point where now they got stuck. They couldn't grow beyond. And that's the problem. In California, another pastor already had a growing church. And he was having difficulty fitting all of the people into the church building on Sundays for four or five services. So he divided his congregation to four groups. Each Sunday, one of those groups would meet in various homes for fellowship and teaching. While the three other groups would meet at the main building for the regular Sunday worship services. Are you understanding? Each of the groups would alternate at holding home meetings on Sundays so that only three-fourths of the congregation attended formal worship each week. When there was a fifth Sunday in the month, then everybody would come together at the church for a big celebration. Again, the pastor was in firm control of the home meetings. He trained the leadership, met with them weekly, directed them in the Bible studies, which went along with what the pastor was teaching each week, and he gave the leaders an outline and a tip. In addition to meeting once a month, the Bible study, the groups in that church met together one extra weekday during the month just for fellowship. Each group of cells has a picnic or some other form of social activity. In these ways, two pastors have found a way to bring home cell groups successfully to their churches without throwing their congregations into an uproar. Many American churchgoers complain of having to spend too much time in church, but by breaking their congregation into home cell groups, those pastors have increased church attendance without making it seem like church is some way. In closing, in Korea, however, our church does not have home meetings that are strictly for fellowship. So he's correcting what seems to be working in America. It is alright for our members to meet for fellowship on their own. But I believe the meetings need to be highly disciplined if they are to produce the kind of evangelism and growth we have seen at full gospel central church groups. That meets without having evangelism as a goal. Do not produce growth in the church. There is a great danger that they will only feed on themselves if they don't do evangelism. I think I should add one thing about the church. I left behind in the West Gate area of Seoul. When we moved to Uyoida Island, 8,000 of our members who stayed behind at the old church while 10,000 moved to the new one. Are you understanding? So there came a time there were 18,000 but the place was so small so they had to move and 8,000 stayed, 10,000 went. Now listen. The 10,000 that went with him the members who stayed behind, that's the 8,000, was given a new pastor. And they continue today to be a strong Assemblies of God church. But the new pastor did not adopt the principles that I have taught at the home of the home cell groups. Although there are cell meetings in that church, they are not used as a tool of evangelism. So the congregation, meanwhile, has dwindled to 2,000 members. Many of the original 8,000, this is, this is what I'm ending on. 
many of the original eight, and I'm ending with this because I am teaching this for a while. All that I've been teaching this for a while, but to get to a point where I will look like a madman in this church. Or anybody who opposes me, I'll crush you. Whatever it means, I'll explain. And I'm saying it here. He says that although there are cell meetings in that church, they are not used as a tool of evangelism. The congregation, meanwhile, has dwindled to 2,000 members. Many of the original 8,000 transferred to our church where he on the church is. Although we have not sought them. Why? Because they, they wanted to do this by center. They wanted it, but the pastor said, no, we will do, we do it. So, because, oh yeah, evangelism, you're, you're, you're happy. But here was a pastor who wanted to have fun. Let's do this. Said, no. So, every time, no, me, I don't like this church. We want Pastor Yongi Cho. Say they went to Pastor Yongi Cho's church, which was far. That's what I'm saying. I would, whatever. Let's say, Gomanyanyano, if I find out that simple things that we are all doing, TLC, everywhere we are all doing, it's not being done there. It's too busy. Green estate, it's too busy. The regions, already I'm, I'm becoming wild. It's too busy. Because you are not the overall. Just like me, I'm not the overall. But here I am the overall. And what we are doing, you must, we must all force and do it. So you can't just be in your corner and then you are, you are, you are, you are not doing, you are, you are doing your own thing. You are spoiling that church. So my dad and the members wish they even come to the cathedral. Though they are in Yesu Chrome. I will not be happy. I will seek you. Yes. <laughs> Without any apology. If Bishop Doug realizes that as Bishop Chris is here, Bishop Chris is not teaching the people, he's not doing happy TP, he's not doing all these things that I must do. That's why you'll be sacked. If Bishop Doug stops doing evangelism, stops doing the, all the things that he's doing, that's why he'll be sacked. You can be sacked physically, you'll be sacked spiritually. A cast sacked spiritually, don't say, well, if you are see so. Physically, don't say, Nankupon will have a way of putting aside and bring somebody else to come and take your place. Oh, which is common. If you don't know, then Oko is now be, gradually becoming the pastor of the church. You, sometimes you can see. Elijah could see that Elisha was coming. Saul could see that David was coming. Moses could see that Joshua was coming. I do not believe the traditional pastoral structure is capable of ministering to the needs of 8,000 members. Like, okay, what he's saying is that, like, okay, we, we all come to church. One big church. And when we close, we all go. He said, I don't believe that that can sustain a particular number of members. That's why this church has struggled because it is not possible to have a church without basentes. It is the basentes that keep the church large. But if there are no basentes, at a point, people don't even like big, big things. Because we feel choked. So the coming together as big must be once in a while. Which is Sunday. Even at the point, it may not be all of us must come. Am I explaining things to us? 
delegation of authority, thank you Holy Spirit, and the formation of home cell groups is the only way of meeting all of those needs of these members. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. I believe you've been blessed for listening to this powerful message. For prayers and counseling, contact the following numbers. 0273-240-449-0540-774941. Stay blessed.